You're listening to 10 Points, a podcast with your hosts, Ash and Nicholas, where all the talk is Canadian Highlander, our favorite format from the best trading card game ever, Magic the Gathering. Hey everyone, it's me, Ash. And me, Nicholas. Today we are going to be responding to a community question and talking about mana bases. But first, we need to get to our best card from, and today our set is Urza's Legacy. So, Nick, we've already talked about Urza's Saga, I believe, and there were some pretty cool cards there. But this set, I think, had a lot of other stuff that all went into Paradox Academy. Did you notice that? Uh, a lot of it does. Mike, the card that I picked actually doesn't. Which is? Uh, yeah, good segue. <laughs> um, Karmic Guide. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if it's the best card in the set. But it is a very big part of what enables Four Color Kiki Pod to exist as a deck. Uh, and so I feel like I would be betraying it just a little bit if I didn't mention it. Because for people that don't know, it's a very big part of the pod chains that make the deck what it is. Now, I, I did not see that when I was going through this set. For some reason, I thought... I don't know. I have no expl- explanation. I thought that... I didn't realize that was in the set. Well, yeah. my best card... First off, I agree. It's also just good even when you're not comboing with it for some reason. Oh, yeah. Um, My best card is... It is a card that you play in Paradox Academy. It is Crop Rotation, uh, notably on the points list. And I've been seeing this card do insane things when that insane thing was just get Ancient Tomb. Yeah, fair Crop Rotation is still busted Crop Rotation. Yeah, like there's just so many valuable lands, which you will hear about later in this episode. And Foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, and I think that, uh, you know, it's just a super powerful card. Um, a couple, well, there are a lot of honorable mentions, but two I wanted to make note of is, well, Karma God's good, but um, Mother of Runes is also good in those creature decks. And Miscalculation is good for interactive decks. Um, yep. And Tinker is good for artifact decks. <laughs> yeah, if you, have, I would, if you have points to spare, I'd have to agree. Um, so before we jump into it, I do want to say a thank you to Wonky Wombat. Uh, he is in the Ten Points Discord server and prompted this. Uh, it wasn't initially as a question, but um, more of a more of a comment. But we decided to take it and run. So uh, he was asking exactly what we play in, what kind of lands we play, and. Uh, Wait, I think I'm looking at the wrong question. Is it the wrong person? Uh, yeah. I, it I is was, Rubber Duck Sauce. Yeah, it was, was Rubber Duck Sauce. Literally, it, you said that, and I like opened up Discord, because I was like, I am 99% sure that's not correct. Thank you to Wonky Wombat for being a, a active member of the community, though. Yeah, um, and also thanks Rubber Duck Sauce for being an active member of the community. <laughs> um, and to be fair, it was phrased as a question, just maybe not as explicitly explained, but I at least understood that it was a question of, is this something you guys want to talk about on the podcast? Yeah, uh, they just said, uh, they, they made an observation that an underexplored part of Canlander is the mana bases. And then they asked, do we have any hard or fast rules on how we build mana bases for our decks? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. The things that we take into account when building mana bases and how we go about it. Yeah, um, mana bases are one of those things that, like, 
looking at it from just like an outside perspective, it's pretty simple. You put lands in your deck so that you can make mana and cast your spells. Uh, But minor changes in mana bases can completely shift how competitive a deck is. And getting like the balance between what kinds of lands you're playing, how many lands you're playing, uh, it can really, really impact how your deck is going to perform. Yeah, I think it's also one of those things that you don't even notice a mana base until it stops working or until it's not working. Like a good mana base, you won't even notice it. It'll just work. Like something that like I'll see a lot is people like complaining about how they're constantly getting mana screwed and they're like, oh my goodness, like if I could just draw this color of mana, like this game would have been totally different. And then I like look at their mana base and I'm like, well, yeah, you're playing like three red cards, but you're playing like... 10 like a quarter of your lands are like produce red mana like if you cut down on that like there's there's so many changes that you can make to your deck to ensure to the best of your ability that your draws will consistently have the mana to do what you need them to do casually adding a card to our list because i forgot it um yeah uh, i agree that a lot of times people just kind of throw the lands they have that are multicolored and then match the colors into a deck without too much regard for the distribution that they need. Um, but that's kind of what we're going to talk about here. Oh, you're adding another one too. Yeah. You're, you're, you're spelling it wrong. I don't care. Okay. Uh, anyways. Uh, so first thing we were going to talk about is the land counts. How many lands do you play? Um, I think we can just kind of breeze through this part kind of quickly, but because th- this is more of a general guideline than a strict number. Um, but it depends on the type of deck you're playing. Nick, you can agree or disagree with me on these. Um, for me personally, for green mid-range decks, uh, I'm usually playing between 36 and 37. Exactly for blue, the same for me. For blue, do you have these written down? What, do you numbers? Have, yeah, or do you, do you just oh, have Oh, no, but if I'm building a green mid-range deck, I have, in fact, I have a green mid-range deck together right now, and it has 37 lands. Perfect. Um, I have blue mid-range decks, specifically decks, mid-range decks that are blue and not green are usually 30, like they're, they're 35 to 37. Sometimes they go a bit lower if I'm playing a high cantrip count, which I tend to do. I, um, I might be on a little bit more than that, but like only like maybe like 35 to 36. As, are you mean a little less? No, you said like 35. To 37. Oh, I thought you, I heard like. Okay. It probably yep. just cut out. <laughs> yeah. It, um I agree. For cantrip heavy control decks, I'll play 38 usually. Um and ones that are a little lighter on cantrips, I'll add one more. Where are you at? Pretty close to there. Yeah. Um yeah. 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 Again, I typically prefer to play high numbers of cantrips. Um though I feel like we're getting to a meta where it's too slow to do that. Uh for combo decks that are artifact-based, which usually means they're playing Soul Ring or Mana Crypt in the point spread and Talarian Academy and Ancient Tomb and Soul Lands, I am going to be playing... Uh, I play a little lower than most people, but between 27 and 31. 27 is extremely greedy. Yeah, I'm usually more like 30 to 33 kind of range for those. Well, who gets Mana Screwed more playing those decks? Hmm. It's uh, it's me. It's it's me. Yeah, 
It, it, yeah, I mean, I, hey, you gotta have the high roll potential, you know? I quite like that. Uh, so, you know. And then for creature toolbox decks, which me and Nicholas have been known to play recently. Well, Nicholas all the time, me more recently. Um, I, I play pretty close to mid-range numbers, sometimes a bit more. Um, on the maybe as high as 38, but usually between 36 and 37, because you're playing more mana dorks than usual, but you also have a higher than average mana curve. Yeah, those decks like re like are super mana hungry. So yeah. while you're playing a ton of mana dorks, you really don't want to drop too many too much on the land. So yeah, I'm usually around like 36 for those kinds of decks. Yeah, and even when one of those lands is Gaia's Cradle, you're still playing that many. Oh yeah. Um, so that's just kind of an idea. Uh, there are like an aggro decks. You're going to be playing fewer cause your mana curve is going to be lower on average. Um, but, uh, I don't have good numbers for aggro decks. I feel like the aggro decks is kind of dependent on the list. Yeah. Uh, aggro decks are going to be like generally like lower thirties, like probably low like low 30 33 to fault three to 33, 35. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unless you're playing Affinity and you're me, in which case you're playing 29. I mean, yeah, in Affinity, you don't need lands. Your spells are free because you already have artifacts that lower your Affinity. That's true, that's true. Um, now, we kind of already talked about this a little bit, but we'll talk just, uh, uh, we'll touch on it to be clear. Um, <clears throat> on what types of things affect the number of lands you play. Um, hmm. Go ahead. Um, yeah, uh, there's like a number of things. Um, I mean, you really want to be considering like how you're going to be getting these lands. Um, so like if your deck, like we talked about, if your deck is playing a lot of cantrips, uh, it's going to be easier for you to find lands because if you have like a two land hand that has a ponder in it, um, then you'll probably be able to find that third land as opposed to where if you are just playing a normal, like a deck that's not playing cantrips and you have a two land deck or two land hand, uh, then you really have to consider, like, am I going to be able to straight draw onto this other land? Um, so cantrips can usually lower your land count, or at least let you be a little more greedy with your keeps. Um, mana dorks, like we talked about, are a big, big factor. Um, um, that is mostly, mana dorks are mostly affect your land count when you are trying to power something out, but not trying to continue up the curve that much. Like, if you're trying to power out a 3 or 4 drop, but you're not trying to get to 6 and 7 mana, uh, that's when I think can't, uh, mana dorks will affect your land count more. Yeah. Um, yeah, mana dorks. Like, if you're playing a mid-range deck that's playing mana dorks, you can uh, maybe kind of lower your land count. But if you're playing, like, uh, like big, big green or something, uh, like mono green Huff? stompy. Well, hoof generally plays a pretty low land count because you're on an extremely large amount of doors. I mean, I, st I still play like 35. That's fair. Yeah. Because you don't want to you want to hit your land drops as well, otherwise dorks don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, playing uh, playing a dork and then missing your, like, playing two lands and a dork and then missing your third land drop, you're really not that much further ahead apart from the fact that now your land can die to bolt. <laughs> Um, um, another thing that uh, affects the number of lands you play is ramp, like non-creature ramp, and what types of that you were playing. And Nicholas, you were getting ready to talk about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the time you're going to see that in the form of artifacts, like we talked about. Um, so, Paradox, Eggs, Affinity, 
other artifact decks. But there's also there are some some ramp decks as well as the medium medium decks that yeah really abuse some of that low cost ramp and can and some other decks that'll sorry I didn't mean to cut you off. Are you done? Oh, I was just gonna say they can play slightly less lands because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, some non artifact ramp you will non creature non artifact ramp you'll see is some a uh, certain decks will play like. Far seeks and nature's lores. Um, I think the most common decks to play those kind of things are like either lands decks that like are trying to get like larger numbers of lands in play for landfall effects or for field of the dead. Um, but I've also seen them played in super friends decks that are trying to play like a large number of four or five and six drops. Yeah. That also they also go in blue green taking extra turns, which is not yes a particularly good deck. But let me tell you, it is very fun to play. It is fun. It's horrible to play against, but yeah. And then the, uh, another thing that affects the number of lands you play is we already alluded to this, but your mana curve being higher up. Uh, so you're playing a higher number of four or five and six drops. You're going to play more lands, even if you're playing ways to ramp because you want to. In addition to ramping, you want to hit your land drops. Otherwise, your ramping is ineffective. You're just spending mana to get mana instead of spending a land drop to get it. And that's not particularly valuable a lot of the time. Um, and I think one more thing that uh, tends to affect your number of lands you're trying to play is your overall game plan. If you're trying to play a more controlling or mid-range game plan, you're looking to hit land drops a lot. Uh, before getting, um, like you want to get to six or seven usually before you you stop. Where aggro decks they are fine stopping at three or four. So you want to set it up so you're drawing the right amount. Yeah, you kind of want to think about it. Honestly, that's like that's a really good way to think about it. How long does your deck want the game to go? Because generally, um, like if you're playing a control deck and you're wanting a long game then you want to make sure that you're hitting lands so that you can like cast your spells throughout that game but if you're like an aggro deck and you want the game to be done by turn five then really you don't need to hit more than three yeah because every land you draw past your fourth land is a blank piece of cardboard except maybe on your earthshaker camera but you understand um yeah i mean earthshaker camera the the eternalizes more of a cherry on the top I, I was actually just thinking, um, this is a little side note, but yesterday I, w- I kind of resorted my collection and sorted out the tokens we use for Paperlander, so they're all alphabetized now, and I kind of consolidated it down to the ones we actually need, and I found the Earthshaker Kenra Eternalized token, and I was like, oh yeah, we need this, everyone plays the Earthshaker Kenra, and then I was like, okay, but how often does that affect resolve and the game not end immediately? I've done it. It, it yeah, me happened. too. I, I ended up leaving it in there, but I, just because, I mean, it was only taking up one slot, right? It wasn't yeah. like it was 12 soldier tokens. But it was like, it is kind of like, how often are we going to put this into play and then scoop up the cards? Oh, there's a good chance that that never comes into play on any paper <laughs> landers. I wonder if it has. Uh, Ty's played medium red at least once. That's I think twice. Like All right, we're, this is way off topic. <laughs> Uh, yeah. The, the next subject that we're talking about is basic lands. Uh, how many do you need to play? And while it might seem like, oh, I don't need to play hardly any basics, because if I play duels, then I can make more mana. 
Uh, Blood Moon and Price of Progress are very prevalent in this format, and every deck you build has to consider that possibility, as well as Path to Exile and Field of Ruin and Assassin's Trophy. Assassin's Trophy. There's a lot of, and now a very, very relevant, the initiative. Yeah. Um, so basics do play a vital role. I, I think the short answer to the question, how many basics do you play, is however many you can before it starts to be a detriment. Like, yeah. as many as you can without it punishing you. Which I think is more than most people think. Yeah, I I generally never go lower than two on, like, any deck. Yeah. Well, there's one deck I do that. Well, for Eggs and Paradox, I'm usually on exactly one. Um, but that, those are kind of exceptions. Um, I think like in blue white control, I play, I was comparing deck lists with someone the other day or like a week ago, I guess. And they, their blue white list, I think had a total of nine. It was like seven islands, two planes. And I was on three planes, 13 islands for a total Dang. of 16 basics. Oh are yeah. You, I love are you it. On back to basics. No, I, I have too many... I fetch out too many duels. Sure. Because, um, like, oddly with that deck, you, you fetch out duels early, and then you're happy to draw basics the rest of the game. Like, you don't need to draw duels, broadly speaking. Like, the only the only exception to that, usually, is uh, if you need to fetch out your underground seed of flashback mystical teachings. Because you're fetching out a triome very early, almost every game. You don't, It doesn't really matter. Yeah, uh, but you're fine to just draw basics later because by the time you're getting to that point, you have like you're only operating on two colors, and sometimes you need additional ones for prismatic ending um, or leyline binding. Yeah, um, yeah. Basic count is kind of hard to like give a number without seeing a list, um, but generally you want to look at like how many double pip cards do you have. Um, obviously how many colors is your deck if you're on a like one or two color deck obviously you can play a lot of basics once you hit three like three colors like generally on a three color deck i'm on like at most like seven basics but usually honestly less than that going from two to three colors because your basic count by an insane amount by so much uh, and then four and five color decks i'm almost always on like two maybe three yeah, so right now in four color initiative, well, you know, furiously nightmare slang is my pet name for it. Um, I'm on a swamp, an island, or sorry, a swamp of plains and a forest. So I'm playing all of them that aren't a mountain. Um, main, and the main reason for that is not to fetch them, but to get them with the initiative. Uh, because I, I couldn't play four. That's too many. Basic mountains are literally the worst basic land at me. And you don't need um, you don't need the red as much. Your that's your least, like your lowest pip color, anyways. So you, I have those three. So I have those options with the initiative, and then that's all I'm playing. Because that deck honestly is pushing at playing three. Yeah, the initiative has increased the importance of basics even more than they already were. Like honestly, when you get into like four and five color decks you're really not beating Blood Moon or Price of Progress anyway, so you're not as much playing the basics to beat those. Like, in a three-color deck, you're playing the basics that if in, if you're in that matchup, you can fetch them out. In a four- and five-color deck, that's just not going to happen. 
Uh, but there are there's like Path to Exile, Field of uh, Ruin, um, and now the Initiative, as well as several other mechanics that allow you to search your library for a basic, and you really, really want to have a basic in your deck to get when those come up. Yeah. It seems like a small thing, but the advantage you lose by not gaining that is pretty substantial. Yeah, if your opponent Field of Ruins you, and you don't have a basic... They are so far ahead because they get their basic, you lose a land, and you're just, like, so very far ahead. Behind, I yeah. mm-hmm. Um, Another thing um, is, that kind of affects how many basics you play is what colors you're in, I think. Like, I feel like decks that are more red-heavy, like, if there are two color decks that are pretty red, um, you don't actually mind playing as many red basics. Uh, I mean, you're going to play a decent amount, but you're probably going to play a few more. Like, red-black aggro plays more swamps than mountains often, because when you play your Blood Moon, all your duels become red, but you need swamps, basic swamps, for the black mana. Yeah, especially if Blood Moon is part of your game plan. Yeah. Then, yeah, that definitely impacts... You're playing more of your off-color basic than your red basic, even if your deck is base red. Yeah, I, I do think that like decks like that, they don't really care. They're still going to play as many duels as they can, because if they're trying to Blood Moon or Price of Progress you, they're probably going to be fine if it's in play. Yeah, the exception is like if you're on like a Blue Moon list playing back to basics. Yeah, that is that is an exception. Then true. you obviously need basics because back to basics uh, doesn't care if your duels are just what color. They are. Yeah, it doesn't care what color they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of it on basics. You want to move on to our non basics? Yeah. Uh, so we're just gonna kind of go through a list in general order of how you should prioritize having non-basics in your deck like once you've decided okay this is the number of non-basics i'm gonna play kind of go through this list and be like all right i play all of the ones of these that i can and then all the ones of these that i can and just kind of go down the list but it's it varies from deck to deck yeah and i i think it's also worth noting that these first three are kind of all the same priority well well okay that's okay the first two and if not the first two then one and three yeah. I'm just going to, okay, we should just say them. Yeah. So, the first three on the list are fetch lands, not necessarily including Prismatic Vista, dual lands, and shock lands. Yeah. Um, so, it, if you have access to all of this, then fetch and duels, fetches and duels are going to be your number one priority, followed by shocks often. Um, but otherwise, uh, if you don't have access to duels, which many people don't, then fetches and shocks are going to be your primary things you like that that's the immediate include to your land base i don't i don't think anyone's unaware of that really i think that's pretty known and agreed upon but i think the things that follow it on this list are maybe more debated yeah and the the remaining things on this list are me and ash's general opinions like this is not a hard fast okay i need to make sure i'm playing all of these in my colors before i move on to these yeah, I think this is more of an on-average situation, um, and the specifics of your deck will modify this list. For example, the next one on this list, I think that Nicholas and I both agree are often going to be your next priority, are the fast lands, the ones that come into play if they're your first, second, or third land. Um, 
and I know I keep talking about it, but four color furiously nightmare sawing. Um, I'm not playing all six fast lands in the colors um, because it doesn't make sense for the way the deck wants to play. Uh, so I like, I don't play black cleave cliffs and I don't play inspiring vantage where uh, like I play the green fast lands cause I'm trying to play a mana dork on one most games, but I'm not interested in playing Mardu colors on, on turn one most times. Yeah. And that's like where you kind of have to look at the deck. Like what's your game plan? If your game plan is play, like a dork or a cantrip on turn one then you want like the green or the blue fast lands but if you're like and if you're like okay i don't really need to play any um like any white spells until like turn four or five then you probably don't need those fast lands as much yeah like if you're playing um four color control no green you at least the way i would build it you probably wouldn't be playing very many white fast lands because your white is more for your planeswalkers and your wraths. You don't need it. You don't usually need it turn one. Yeah, like you want like your your blue mana. You for want your thought season your cantrip. Yeah, I was literally about to say you want your blue mana for cantrips and your black mana for hand attack, and your red mana for lightning bolt. Yeah, which you're probably playing more bolts than swords, anyways. Yeah, I mean you get swords path and prismatic ending. Apart from that, your white removal is usually going to be later. Um, anyway, after Fastlands, Nick, you, we've talked about these ad nauseum the last, uh, last year, but Triumphs have been amazing in every deck ever. Well, any deck that can afford to take a turn off. If you are playing, like, a Blitz aggro deck or, like, a really, really fast, uh, combo deck, then you probably don't want the Triumphs. But if that, you're, that's true. <laughs> if, if your deck can afford to... Like if you if you if you if your deck can keep a hand where you're not doing anything turn one, uh, and you're playing fetch lands, then you probably want triumphs. Yeah, or if it's the kind of thing where you're often doing something turn one, but turn two is usually a development turn, or even if you're holding up interaction, but you might not have to use it, and you're playing with a lot of fetch lands, triumphs can be very powerful because they get to let you fix colors and still hold up interaction yeah they're also amazing to draw late game uh if you need to cycle through your deck mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and another huge bonus that these checklands or that these triumphs have provided is uh prismatic ending and leyland binding if you're in white um even if you're not playing the colors the triumphs are giving you uh you get bonus value out of having uh triumphs because a they're just more fetchable lands so you get to leave your untapped fetchable lands in your deck to draw or fetch later and B, you get the value of making your prismatic ending, leyline binding, um, whatever other cards you might play. What's the uh, painful truths stuff like that? Yeah, like for like if you're playing a deathrite shaman, but your deck is just green, you can still play like a triumph that makes black for that. Um, Territorial kavu. The the triumphs have also been very very nice, which we've seen a lot of decks emerging that are just playing like splashing, usually splashing for oko run in six or minskinbu or which all is its them. own problem yeah it's which is, it's a whole different thing but the triumphs have really enabled being able to splash uh for like single cards or like two or three cards because you just like fetch that triumph out turn one and then you just have access to that mana for the rest of the game um so what's the uh what's after triumphs yeah so 
the this is where the order gets a little bit strange. Next on the list we have the check lands, which are the ones that come into play untapped if you have a land type of the appropriate land type. Um, and then immediate, I'm just going to put all three of these in the same kind of category because I think these get a little bit weird. It gets pretty dependent on your list. Yeah, so we have the check lands, the pain lands, and then I disagree with this, but Ash has the slow lands with them. Um, I think the check and the pain lands can be pretty interchangeable. I would never play the slow lands in any of my decks, but Ash thinks that they are good. To clarify, the slow lands are the ones from Midnight Hunt and, I guess, Crimson Vow, I think, uh, where they come into play untapped if you control at least two other lands. Um, So you guys can let us know in the comments or on Twitter or whatever. Or Discord. uh, or, or Discord, that is where most of the community lies. Let us know what you think, uh, if the slow lands are good or bad. I think they're good, Nicholas thinks they're bad. Yep, and Let that's no. And that's the kind of thing, like when you're building a mana base for your deck, it, assuming you're like playing the deck pretty consistently, it might be worth throwing them in, even if you think they're bad, um, and just see how they feel. And if they feel bad, you take them back out. Um, I think that they're wait, as the name implies, I think that they're too slow. Um, but there could be value in them. Yeah, and stuff like that, like, that decision might be very specific to what you're playing. So, like, I've played a lot of blue eye control. I, I have a really good uh, understanding of what feels good and what doesn't in my list. I've played a pretty good amount of four-color Nightmare Saw, and I know what feels good and what doesn't in my list. But if I were to throw together, like, Grixis Control for a paper lander or for a week of a week or two at weeklies, you know, I haven't had reps and reps and reps on the deck. So I'm not going to have a perfectly tuned mana base necessarily. So a lot of it sometimes just comes down to playing it and fine tuning your list in your meta. I was just going to say, once you've hit all of these lands, your mana base is probably just about, and uh, yeah, and like pretty close to done. But the the last land cycle, which goes in a very select few amount of decks, usually only two color decks, are the battle lands. Which, there was a whole thing when they came out, what people were going to call them. But just to be clear, these are the ones from Battle for Zendikar that say, if you control two basic lands, they come into play untapped, and they are fetchable. Um, I, I more put these on the list to bring up that they are playable in that small subcategory of decks, but not most of them. I think they're pretty bad in three color decks. You guys can at me, I guess. But uh, now, Nick, we've talked a lot about the colored lands we'll play in our decks to the, the ones that are strictly for mana production. Well, asterisks strictly for mana production. Um, if we don't have duels, I think we kind of agreed that the best thing to do is just kind of shift this whole lift up by one, ignoring the dual line and go from there, do the best you can. Sometimes I've seen decks that don't have duels play one more Triumph than normal than they maybe would otherwise just to kind of fill out some of the fetchable land slots so their fetches don't get dead late. Um, but that could be a battle land if you're in a two-color deck that could that, that has it. Um, but So we've talked a lot about the dual lands, well, the not necessarily the true duels, but the lands that make our multiple colors of mana for our decks, but... Of course, there are other kinds of lands you play, so do you want to talk a little bit about the other things we'll see in mana bases? 
Yeah, so the the other things that are going to compose your mana bases are your, like, utility lands and, like, certain lands that come in tapped, uh, which usually those kind of fill into the same category. Um, so, like, the things that fill, like, fall into the tapped lands category are, like, uh, triumphs, like we've talked about, and the man lands, um, which now there's quite a few of those. But Some of which aren't even tapped all the time. Yeah. Um, so generally... Tap lands are really bad. Like, you don't want your lands to be coming in tapped. But sometimes the alternate effect that the card provides is worth it. Uh, like the Triumphs, obviously, being able to be fetchable, so you can kind of time when you get them, um, and also making three colors of mana, as well as being a good late game draw um, to cycle, make them worth it. And then like the man lands, obviously, just having another win condition in your deck that gets through counter magic and can kind of just sit on the table until you need it um, can make some of those sometimes worth it. So those, I would say these are kind of the cards that are the trickiest to fit into a mana base um, because you generally, and in some decks you want them, but you really need to figure out how worth it the, um, the, the, the effect of it coming into tapped, how worth the uh, alternate effect of the card is. Yeah. Um, I think that oftentimes building your deck in a, in a way that can incorporate specifically man lands um, is really a metagame decision. Like, I think people that, you know, I don't know if you remember Nicholas back when we had a really heavy blue meta, but it wasn't like a combo meta. It was just like a lot of people playing interactive blue decks. Like, I feel like we saw way more man lands then because people were like, well, my opponent's going to give me time to kill them with this Raging Ravine. Yeah, and that was the thing. We were It was, A, a really slow meta, so having a tap land wasn't that big of a defect, but also a lot of counter magic going around, so being able to play a threat that can't be countered um, mm-hmm. is also quite good. Yeah. Uh, now, we talked enough about Triumphs already, so I think we're good to move on to the the utility lands and i think utility lands has i think a very loose definition on average oh yeah Uh, my definition of it would be a land that you're not playing it for its proficiency at providing you good mana and sometimes it doesn't provide you good mana at all but you're playing it for an additional value you get out of it some really obvious ones we talk about all the time are caracas and wasteland Krakus, it does produce white, but oftentimes people who aren't playing white play it anyways, just because they play it as a colorless land that has a very useful effect, which of course is to bounce legendary creatures. And then Wasteland is how you kill Krakus when you're playing legendary creatures. Yep. Um, but yeah, some other utility lands that you'll see in a lot of decks are Bajukavog, if uh, the deck is willing to take a tap land to remove a graveyard. Um, Urza Saga is... We've talked about it enough. You guys know. Uh, honestly, Urza it's, Saga is less whack. of utility. It's less of a utility land. It's more of a way of life. It's, but... Yeah, it's more of a it's more of a win condition than anything. It's <laughs> well, it's a win condition. It's interaction somehow. It is dodges counter magic. It's yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, Field of the Dead is another win condition type of non basic land, and that. I think it counts as a utility land in some decks, but most decks that are playing it are more playing it as their primary game plan. 
Um, well, honestly, that's, that's I, we, one of them. Yes. Yeah. I sure. I mean, I, I guess a lot of the times the pri- quote primary win con is get Primeval Titan in play, let them deal with the Primeval Titan, and then use the field of the dead that I got to kill them. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like we probably should have mentioned lands decks earlier in the land counts. I feel like land the dedicated lands decks are playing over forty a lot of the time because yeah. they're tutoring so many out of their deck. Yeah, I mean, not a whole lot over 40. Like usually Probably like, like 41. Four, yeah, 41 is exactly, yeah. Uh, I think ones that are trying to like, like Azusa Crucible, like that's their main thing, or like Fastbond Crucible, they they might play more, just, or like change the ones they're playing so there's more fetchable ones. But um, that's a little specific. Yeah, and, uh, and anyway... Those land decks are also going to be playing more of these utility lands because they're playing a bunch of tutors like uh, crop rotation, like Ash was talking about earlier. Crop rotation really likes to have an assortment of lands to go get to fit any situation. Like a Beseju in a deck by itself is, or not Beseju, Bajukabog in a deck by itself is not super great because... Not only do they have to have a graveyard that you care about, but you have to have drawn it in time to deal with that. But when you can tutor it out to deal with the graveyard that's getting out of hand, uh, it gets significantly better. Yeah, like when we had Seth on here talking about the rock, you know, he was saying he plays like three or four land tutors, and uh, Bajukabog is one of his many utility lands that it gets with them. Um, yeah, and a couple more. Uh, utility lands you'll see mystic sanctuary is like the as a really big one you'll see control decks playing that's another reason blue eye control plays so many basics because uh you don't have as many fetchable duels and you um you want to you want to get islands in play for mystic sanctuary and then you just mentioned besaju notable uh, specifically the new besaju who shelters all yes wait no is that the one yeah this be no is no is it who endures no i think besaju who endures is the old one uh turning to google okay besaju the one with channel yeah the Um, good one and and actually pretty much that entire cycle sees some amount of play in highlander if i had to rate them in order of prevalence i would say besaju otawara aganjo takanuma sokenzen it is besaju who endures okay um now, these ones aren't as good with crop rotation, but they are good with Sylvan Scrying. And, like, Expedition um, Map. Yeah, and Expedition Map, or Demonic Tutor, whatever you may tutor them with. Um, but these are lands that, you know, they're not super amazing at producing mana. If you play them, they're just worse than basic lands most of the time. Almost every time, actually. Um, but if you draw them late, they're an uncounterable spell now. Or sometimes well, if you draw them early. <laughs> they're, yeah. They they can get stifled. They can be stifled, but, but short, uh, that's neither. Here so can manlands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, depending on what deck you're playing, um, and how difficult your mana is, you can afford some number of utility lands. And uh, you know, for example, in blue eye control, because I can't stop bringing that deck up today. <laughs> um, I've been playing it a lot recently. Yeah, I was about to say, are you just today? No, you can't stop bringing that deck up ever because it is your baby. It is my baby. It is. Um, but the utility lands you play in Blue Eye Control are Caracas, uh, Wasteland, Field of Ruin, 
in Mystic Sanctuary, and then um, usually Colonnade, Celestial Colonnade, and Fairy Conclave, um, or some number of those two man lands. Um, so you don't you don't play a huge number, and you're you're a deck that has pretty good mana, so it doesn't it can afford to play more than most decks, I think. Um, so like you know, if you're looking at like a traditional like Abzan mid range, they don't get to play nearly as many because they have to spend all their lands on making their three colors of mana for all of their super intricately costed cards. Man, I want to play Abzan mid range now. Abzan mid range is super better solid. than Judd. Not quite that solid. All I'm saying is Abzan mid range has not three would on Paper Lander. <sighs> okay, your. Your Jund mid-range deck was 12 other decks rolled up into one. It was Moist Jund with some lands shenanigans and other shenanigans, but it had Jund in the name. It did have Jund in the name. It was Jund nominally. Alright, um, at some point <laughs> on a paper lander, I am going to build normal Jund, and you're going to build normal Abzan, and we're going to settle the debate once and for all. Oh, goodness. Ah. I can't. Okay, we've. I think we've established pretty well. If you look at all the paper landers, I perform worse on camera than you do. Uh, I mean, but that shouldn't impact the deck. All right, fine. You get to play. No, never mind. I was going to say, gonna gonna say you can play Jund, and then I was like, uh, I don't trust anyone else to to so, truly so what you're Jund saying, them out. What you're saying is, if I play Jund, you're not cool with that because you know I'm gonna lose and Abzan will win? The spirit of Jund is within me and I must be piloting it. <laughs> Does that mean we're banning from anyone else, any, any guests from playing Jund? Yes. Unless they really, really want to. Alright, you know what? Okay, we're gonna do a paper lander in which there are two people playing Jund and two people playing Abzan. This and... sounds terrible. Wait, are we talking like 100 card clones or... Not clones, but they have to fit within the Jun mid-range and Abzan mid-range categories. We can talk okay. about this later. This might be a thing that happens. It might not. Probably I not. Actually, that sounds... I actually really like this idea. Let us know on Discord or Twitter or the comments or in person if you well, we want might this make to a... happen. Yeah, yeah, let us know. <laughs> Wait, what if we just had everybody show up with the exact same deck? What if everybody showed up with uh, Seinfeld? Uh, I, I no would one not would watch, watch that. It. Yeah, not only would our I I wouldn't even watch that. In fact, I probably wouldn't even finish playing that. I uh, thought you were gonna say you wouldn't even show up to record. I would show up to record, get through the first match, and then toss myself off of a cliff. Makes sense. All right, we've uh, deviated drastically. Oh, so very far. Seinfeld um, has nothing to do with mana bases. If you're playing Seinfeld, reason- your mana base is tons of basics. Uh, the reason we deviated is because we were pretty much uh, finished with the topic. Um, yeah, there's a few other utility lands. Uh, uh, like yeah. you, Some decks might play Ghost Quarter, uh, Field of Ruin, like we talked about earlier, Tectonic Edge, um, Dark Depths, Thespian Stage uh, make appearances uh, sometimes. Uh, Maze of Ith is a big one. Oh, you Maze know what? Another Ith. one we didn't, really th- we didn't really think about is uh, Urborg and Yavimaya. Oh, yeah, Urborg and Yavimaya. Those fall into the the like fixing your mana category though. Yeah. There's Yeah, but there's, they're weird. There's lots of utility lands that can be played. 
Um, find the ones that you think might be good, try them in your deck, and find out if they are good. Like the Horizon Canopies. Oh, those definitely should have been in our non-basic cycle. Uh, the Canopy Lands, I think, probably go hand-in-hand with the Check Lands and Pain Lands at, like, about that tier It depends level. on your deck. It yes, really depends it on de- your deck. Yeah, faster decks prefer Pain Lands more than slower decks. If you are a blue mid-range deck or a control deck, you probably don't want them. If probably. you're a combo deck or an aggro deck, then you definitely you almost do guaranteed do. <laughs> almost guaranteed. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned those because I guarantee someone was going to be like, how did you guys not talk about the canopy lands? Oh, I guarantee that we have forgotten to talk about some type of lands. Oh, we definitely have. But Let us know. <laughs> yeah, tear us apart in the comments or Discord or well, Twitter. Well, you or- can tear... You you can tear Nicholas apart. Be nice to me. I'm fragile. Sure. Treat Ash with love and kindness. Utmost care. But Nicholas. Oh, I'm. I, I'll be fine. Okay. Well, now you're making me. Okay. Let's I'm a fine. real man. Ash over here wanna... <laughs> is like wet tissue paper. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Uh, wet tissue paper. Do All you right. want to talk about was, what you played this week? Yeah, I was, I was about to say that's a perfect transition. Or yeah, transition into. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, this week I built. Uh, so Ash put out a poll for our most recent paper lander about what decks people wanted him to play, and one of the decks on that list was Teamer Broken Cards, which is basically just a Teamer mid range deck that just plays all of the broken cards. Oko. Uh, Renin Six, Minskin Boo, Burrow, Ragavan, Ragavan, just all of the good ones. Uh, and so he didn't end up playing that for the Paper Lander, which will probably, actually, I guess, probably not be out. Wait, will it be out? It might be out. So. It might be out before this episode. If not, uh, who's to say? Foreshadowing the Ash is not playing that deck. Um, but I ended, uh, I and Ash ended up being like, hey, you should just, like, build it and see what happens. So I threw it together. Um, I have to go to my notes and... Okay. Deck is broken. Yeah. So, well, it is broken. I, I went two and one. And the match that I lost to is four color initiative. Uh, I hate the initiative so very much. Um. Uh, Please, if anyone on the council is listening, do something with the initiative. Some points, like at least point White Plume Adventurer. That would at least be a start. Um, but I also had some unfortunate mulligans. I had to multiply both games. Uh, game one, I think I drew two one landers before I hit my mediocre five. And then game two, I drew two zero landers before I hit my mediocre five. And then I just got initiatived into oblivion uh there was one game that i had a chance of coming back because i had a i played a true name nemesis and i was like oh well now i can start taking the initiative every turn and then questing beast and i wept um so i got brutally annihilated that match uh match two i was against grixis control um game one i became the thing that i hate and i won off of the back of initiative i played uh, an undermountain adventurer and just initiatived from there and won because that's what the initiative does. You get it. And I then would you like win. to interject and say that 
Nicholas only plays the initiative cards because he knows he has to. He doesn't actually want to. Oh, yeah. You would think that I would love the initiative because I'm such a creature combo slash creature toolbox player. But, man, does it just make games boring. Like, it's just not fun. Uh, but, I mean, you have to be playing it or you're doing it wrong. So I was playing I some initiative cards. I can't wait uh, and then game two, I won with Minskin Boo because Minskin Boo is whack and uh, on my top three favorite magic card list. It's just amazing. Um, Luckily, it does lose to Caracas. Yes, it does. Uh, kind of. Still does something. It still does things, just not as many things. And then match three, I was against Ash on blue-white control. Um and like I said, I'm a real man. He's tissue paper. I'm kidding. Uh, no, it was a good Yikes. match. It was a good match. Game one, I like curved perfectly. I don't remember exactly what it was. I think I think I did miss turn one, but after that, it was like Sylvan Library into like Rabble Master into like Minskin, like so, some crazy. Like I just perf like didn't miss a step, um, and one off of the back of broken cards. Game two, I was ahead. Um, but he was, like, kind of trading back and forth to the point that I couldn't get, like, super-duper far ahead. And then he cast a recall, cast a, um... No, no, I cast an Archmage's Charm to dig through two and then found a recall. Sure, yeah, Archmage's Charm into recall into uh, Mystic Confluence. And then from there, he just had a handful of cards and uh, killed me. And then game three, I was, like, doing fine playing some cards or whatever i was like maybe a little bit ahead and then i just cast Bloodbraid elf and hit oko and i mean that's so much value and then i just won i honestly i think i get so tilted from your Bloodbraid elves because nobody else plays Bloodbraid elf anymore oh yeah i was and also every on, time i was also on uh, like mana drain and um uh, like counterspell, oh, miss not miscalculation, but like I, I was on uh, counterspells and removal spells and stuff every, that oh. you don't want to. <laughs> I can't play team or broken cards and not play blood braid, though. No, I know. I'm just saying, your blood braids they're never even mid, they're always insane because the spirit of the jund flows through me, it really does. Um, so I played against the same Grixis mid-range player, uh, and, like, we kind of looked at it after the match. I lost. We kind of looked at it, we were like, like, he just, like, drew absolute fire and played super well, and I just couldn't keep up with him, uh, which is unfortunate. I lost a game where I recalled, maybe twice, I don't remember. I think it was just once. And not that Recall's supposed to instant win, but against Blue Decks, it's supposed to be pretty good. But what you gonna do? And then, um, the second game, I think I mulliganed to five, and it just wasn't even close. In match two, I went up against Black Red Aggro, and it was just one of those matches where the aggro deck plays creatures, and then the control deck plays removal spells, and then the aggro deck draws lands. So, that went pretty well for me and then i lost to nicholas yeah um 
I've been on a bit of a losing streak recently. I'm not going to lie. And I would really love to start winning. <laughs> so is this your, you wanna... your plea to the magic gods to like start giving you some wins? Well, I'm just, I'm just, you know, ex- I'm, I'm, I, I've forced humility onto people so often in the past. I decided it's time to, I myself be humble and admit that I am on a losing streak. I am. I am not amazing. I. I am not the, the best magic player yet. So, uh, I. I was actually going to request your teamer list. Uh, I will type it up. Um, as a avid creature combo player, I can agree that Ash has forced humility on me way too many times. Okay, now that you said you're going to type it up, you know we have to link it, right? All right. I will. I will make sure to type it up. And before this video or this recording goes live so that it will be in the description. Um, lovely editor of ours. If we forget, please remind us to link this list. Thank you. All right. I think we have uh, concluded our our discussion. I think so. Uh, thank you again, Rubber Duck Sauce, for prompting this episode. I hope that we explained stuff pretty thoroughly for you. Yeah, um, and... Uh, if there is anybody that has not joined our Discord, Discord, I would recommend doing so. Um, you can ask questions like this, and maybe we will do an episode on it. Or yeah, we also might just answer the question in the footnotes of the episode as well. Not footnotes in the of, in, in the, the end, ending segment of the episode. Yeah, or in, in over Discord. Um, but either or way, over Discord, we are active on there and will answer questions as long as well as many other people on the Discord that are quite good canlander players that are yeah. always happy to answer questions have discussions talk about play decks. play webcam games yep it's a great community uh i would recommend you join it we'd love for you to join all right uh any other comments uh thanks for listening thanks for listening everybody may you draw lands and spells thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 points podcast and don't forget to count your points